This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. And you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not having fun doing it, you're gonna give up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John. And this episode's guest is Chris Davis, guitarist for The Ghost Inside in Texas in July. And man, this was a fucking blast. Um, it's funny. So in recent months, uh, I've been getting more active on Twitch, uh, more as a part, like an, a crowd participant, uh, not actually doing them. Uh, cause as you'll hear in this episode, I just, I don't have a very regimented scheduled life. And so it makes it really hard to commit to saying I'm going to be on Twitch on these days, these nights. And there's a lot of things that I would like to do on the few times I've done Twitch. You know, I, I haven't done a live podcast, but I've aired a podcast I did and then just kind of did like a live thing with the comments and so forth and as well as uh watch movies and stuff like that which was a lot of fun I, I realized for as much as I thought Haggard was a movie that a lot of people had seen and was a part of their lives I kind of low-key found out that that is not the case and a lot of people were like what the fuck is this <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes uh Twitch has been very interesting but you know I feel like a part of the thing that I love about Twitch is a lot of the people that I follow uh, and that I interact with, uh, it becomes kind of like this little community. And randomly, I was uh, watching Telly from the Word of Lives uh, stream, and he went and basically raided uh, Chris. And I, I constantly see Chris, you know, as a, a suggested channel for me. But it was one of those where he was always streaming when somebody else I knew was streaming. And it's it's not necessarily that it's hard to be in different things, but you can't really give attention to any one thing. And I kind of like to be a part of the chat and be a part of, you know, the, the stream. And so I randomly, you know, came over to Chris's channel and just started kind of, you know, I commented on something and Chris was like, hey, saw you did an episode with JT. Da -da -da -da. And then like three or four people in the in his chat were like, love your show. And I'm like, oh shit. So it was a bit of like a, a, a surprise. And, you know, I constantly make the comment that I don't know and don't get a lot of feedback from people. So it was kind of a surprise to, to have 
quote unquote, an overwhelmingly uh, positive response and reaction to, to just showing up somewhere. And, you know, shout out. I don't remember who it is. Sadly, someone made the comment. They're like, hey, when are you going to to Chris? Like, when are you going to have him on your show? Or to me, like, when are you going to have Chris on the show? And I was like, that's entirely up to him. That's that's not a me thing. Uh, and we figured it out relatively quickly, um, you know, within less than a week. And now the episode's done and it couldn't have been more fun. Um, you know, I, I realized very quickly between the kind of one sided interaction of Chris streaming and then reading comments uh, and a lot of the things I was kind of putting in there that it's like, man, like we are very similar, have a lot of the same interests musically, have a lot of the same reference points and so forth. And uh, it was just like one of those where I think Chris made the comment like, dude, I think we're going to become best friends, like almost like in a stepbrothers. And I was like, oh, I can totally see that. And this was just a lot of fun. Like there was no preconceived notion of like what we were going to talk about. And we kind of talk about, you know, Twitch streaming and, and kind of the industry. You know, it's a very good piggyback episode from the, the Joey from Varsity from last week. And, you know, just kind of talking about the scene evolving and where, you know, festivals like So What Festival are going to go and, and what potentially it could do for both hip hop and for the metalcore scene as a whole. And I don't know, it's just it's it's fun to talk to some to these people and it's fun to talk to people and just kind of, I don't want to say fantasy book, but you just kind of start throwing ideas out and you just kind of talk through things. And it's so fun. Um, and I think one of the funner things too, is I had him pick my beer, which as you'll hear right away in it, uh, it was this, uh, cherry funfetti cake, uh, Imperial birthday sour, which my wife picked this out. I guess this is out of Ferndale, Michigan. Um, oh shit. And apparently they only made 50 of these motherfuckers. I did not know that because uh, I have canned 42 out of 50. So that means potentially there are like none of these. And that sucks because I was totally going to go buy more. And now I don't know that I can because I didn't know it was so limited. Holy shit. This this beer, though, was fucking phenomenal. Uh, I've never tasted a beer that tastes like cake like this. Um, the cherry flavor was super good, but the funfetti flavor in it tastes just like fucking funfetti. And the sour is like complemented by the sweetness of like the, the cake and the cherry and the, and the, like the kind of icing flavor that it's got. I am really bummed. I just found like turning the can over, just found out that it's out of 50. So I might have to go to the store to go buy the last couple uh, of these if they still even are there. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and end this. I'm going to head to the store and I'll talk to you on the other side of it. thought i remember when they first came out and then it came out recently when they were doing reunion shows that they're from cleveland and i was like you know somehow i think that actually makes more sense wait which which band was it uh crossbreed oh yeah i feel like i did know that also and that does definitely make way more sense i'd have to agree with you it's <laughs> it's, it's very very fitting so i'm gonna let you choose uh the beer that i'm gonna have tonight i mean i'll probably have more than one but i got a bunch of goodies and i never know which one to start off with <clears throat> What do you got there? 
So I have a chocolate coconut candy stout from Untitled Art, which they're always okay. super delicious. Um, Saugatuck uh, here out of Michigan uh, has a barrel-aged double-dipped banana split. Wow. And then I got this cherry funfetti cake imperial birthday sour. I'm going with that one. Just this one? Th- Yeah, the label alone has me sold. Right, let's see how this goes. I forgot you're a Michigan guy. Oh, yeah. I live like about an hour from Andrew. Now. That's crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> For he's, now. Uh, he's selling his house right now. We're putting his house on the market. He starts doing showings this week. Oh, my God. That is so fucking delicious. Is it? Did I choose oh. wisely? Yeah. I mean, I think I chose all all like 10 of 10s at least. But Okay. Fair enough. All right. Hold on. I'm going to actually go give this a sip to my wife because she was like, that sounds really good. So I'm going to go have her try this because it's that good. Do it up. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so good. Now I'll have to cut that out when I actually post this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can hear in the background, you have to try this. It's so good. <laughs> well, I don't typically tell my wife that. Like usually like a lot of the beers I get, it's like, eh, you, you have it. But right. she she was like, Did you see this one? And I was like, No, because it was in the refrigerated section. So I hadn't made my way over there. And then but I mean, at seven dollars a can, like this is almost my my price point where I'm like, mm-mm. yeah, that's that's definitely reaching the uh, the top of where I'm like, I might try that seven <laughs> seven a can. It might be a little much for my blood. Yeah, I've definitely been. I mean, it's so weird. Like, it's funny. Uh, so I just bought some guitar pedals the other day uh, from Sweetwaters because I was like, eh, fuck it. I got my paid basically the whole balance off uh, off my card. And I saw that they were doing like some deal on like Behringer pedals. And I just found out that apparently a lot of people are like really shitty about Behringer. Yeah. Well, they, they had a bad name for a long time, uh, Yeah, uh, but then they got, they got bought out by, or wait, no, they bought out the company Midas, who is like okay. a, uh, like a nicer company uh, okay. but along with, acqu- <laughs> uh, uh, along with acquiring Midas meant that they got a lot of new engineers and technology and like mm-hmm. a lot of the more modern Behringer stuff is actually really fucking quality shit. And that was the thing is like, so I was telling uh, my friend Dewey from Pure Pleasure Podcast, I was like, oh, I bought some pedals. And he was like, what'd you get? And I was like, all these Behringers. Because like for 25 bucks a pedal, roughly, it's like, even if they suck. It was 25 bucks. Yeah. Right. And, and it's theoretical money. It's not real money right now. <laughs> sure. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I love the theoretical money. But uh, so I ended up getting the pedals. They all got here within a day because like we're like, three hours from Fort Wayne and like, they're pretty solid. And it was, he was just like, you know, like I think less of you as a musician oh, and I'll, like just kind of like digging into me on it. And I'm like, dude, whatever. Like you didn't pay for him. It's not like you bought him for me or I've ruined like <laughs> birthday right. gift, but I'm so far, like I'm pleasantly surprised with them. Uh, I even somehow didn't fuck up the, I remembered a Daisy chain graphic from forever ago of how to chain my, uh, pedals. Um, so it's one of those like I was I was more proud of that that I remembered the chain that the the signals needed to go through. <clears throat> hey, props to you, especially because most kids now will probably never chain together physical pedals and amps and stuff. It'll all be in a computer or a digital amp of some sort. So good on you. I mean, it's funny, like <clears throat> Andrew and I because I get kind of jealous because like, you know, especially watching your stream. And, you know, when Andrew posts like his videos of him working on stuff and just, I mean, really anybody. And now everything's plugins. Like no one has like this. 
Yep. Unless you're Ken Susie. Ken Susie still will pull out like these fucking things and be like, yeah, but the thing about from, like 12 years ago. Right. The thing about Ken, though, is that he's then running it through a load box with impulse responses in it. So he's like halfway there. You know what I mean? He's like <laughs> he's got a foot in each world and he's not willing to commit to either one anymore. I mean, I guess that's something, you know, now with, you know, I guess we can kind of talk about your Twitch streaming a little bit, but like. I feel like with as much touring and especially with you guys probably now present presumably uh, really doing fly in and spot dates uh, from here on out, at least for ghost inside. Uh, and I would even say probably for Texas in July as well. It's probably just so much easier to not have to like rent gear and just know that if you bring your Kemper, like boom, all my sounds, everything is going to be the way it needs to be. And yep. you're good. Yep. That's exactly right. In fact, I started doing uh, Axe effects back in like 2000. 13 with texas in july one because the songs we were writing every record kind of required more and more effects and then it would it turned into the whole tap dance thing <laughs> and then we we went on tour with uh we did a tour in canada with structures and north lane mm. and and both of those bands and actually in intervals was on it and we were the only band not running axe effects and watching those guys change like 50 effects with the press of one button i was like oh, i I can't do it anymore. I have to commit. <laughs> I I can't be that guy anymore. I can't I can't put I like can't put myself through all this extra shit because I'm being a purist and I've just yeah. never looked back. Now, did you sell all your like actual tactile gear or are you still because you have like sort of a studio set up? Do you keep a lot of it? So it's it's kind of been a revolving door. So when I first got the Axe Effects, I did sell it all off because I had to sell it off to afford the Axe Effects because they're so fucking expensive. Um but I have gone back and bought heads and bought cabs and then sold them off for other stuff. And it, it's always a revolving door here. I'm always uh, deciding that a new setup of some sort is better for me and flipping gear to get that new setup. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, the other one was better. And I flip gear to get that gear back. And so it's been a revolving door. Currently, I do not have any heads. But six months ago, I had like two or three sitting around here. Yeah, I think that was the problem for me for a little while was... You know, I was I was always like that combo amp guy for a while because I'm like, I'm never really playing in bands anymore. Like not that I really ever did, but it was also one of those that it's like gives me the versatility that I want. I don't have to like determine a specific like, OK, with this head, I need this cab to get this tone. Then I need to figure out what kind of pedals I want. Like and then it's just like a whole ordeal. And for a while I was running. I still have it. But the uh, that line six, like the spider four or whatever, that was basically yep. the proto axe effects. Where like yep. they gave it to like Kill Switch and Ministry and all these people are like just load it with your presets yep. and money. Like granted, I paid for it like well after the fact. I paid some local band dude like fifty bucks for it, and it was like the best fifty dollars I've ever spent. Still, I mean, for fifty bucks, that is a steal. And those things get a bad rap. I think Line Six pre like any of the Helix stuff just got a bad rap for everything, and those kind of just got caught in there. I mean, you. I've heard plenty of tones out of those that sound cool. I, you know, I, I would go sit at those in guitar center on tour. Cause I knew that there were those artist presets. You could sit down and be like, I want to check out a guitar. Oh, bloop, 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 bloop. oh, here's a kill switch engage pre preset done. Yeah. I can just jam on this guitar now. You know what I mean? They, they, they definitely got a bad rap just because it was line six and everything line six got shit on for a long time. I feel like that's the weird thing. I've come up with this epiphany in the last couple of weeks <clears throat> between finding out about like the whole Behringer thing, uh, just kind of seeing, you know, different bands kind of releasing records over the last little bit and just kind of thinking like, 
being into music is awesome, but goddamn, we are our, our own worst. Like we self cannibalize and just ruin anything that makes remotely anything music related fun. Like, do you want to be a musician and do you want to like fuck around and kind of be able to either play with stuff or write your own stuff? Well, purists only listen to this or only use this gear. And if you have anything less than that, then we're going to shit on you. And then it's like collecting records. Well, records only, they don't sound good. You need to buy anything. That's only 180 gram European vinyl and da da da. And it's like, who the fuck cares, man? Like, are you paying for it? Yeah, I, I literally, so I was recording uh, uh, vocals for my buddy earlier today, and we were actually talking about how, like, self-limiting and self-defeating the, like, punk, hardcore, metal, metalcore, like, the, just, like, the heavy, aggressive side of the music space can be on itself. We, like, set these ceilings that, like, if you go past it, you're a sellout, and, like, if if you, like, play these kinds of amps, you're, like, you're not a real musician. What do you, you what do you mean you automate your patch changes off of a laptop and you play to a click? You're not a real band. Like why why are we why are we not allowed to like have nice things in this in this world of music? Why are we not allowed to like have success and like why can't we cheer each other on while we do it? Like I love seeing bands from our world do well. Like fucking I was knocked loose is out there crushing it right now and i mm-hmm. love that they're literally one of the heaviest bands uh out right now currently releasing music in my opinion uh and and they very much remind me of a ton of the bands that i that got me into this world in the first place and they're fucking crushing right now what like why are we not cheering everybody on like th- what when one of us succeeds it only does better things for our genre as a whole. Well, I think the kind of bigger talking point, and I guess we can start with, I mean, shit, you can go back even further, but I I guess more in more recent times, we can look at code orange kind of as being that band that everyone was like, look at this band. This band is like, the best of like all these things pre pre kind of knock loose with as far as like we're incorporating stuff from the nineties, you know, industrial new metal, you know, grind. We're, we're just kind of throwing it all together and everyone loved it. And then it's like, by the time I am King cycle was done and they were putting out forever, it's like bubble burst. They weren't the underground band anymore. And now everyone fucking hated them. And it's like the thing that shocks me. And I, I just, I don't know. Cause like, I like, hip hop and pop and rap and all that kind of stuff. And the thing that I, I constantly notice shit, even in country that I'm seeing now more frequently, not that I really listen to, but I peripherally, I see it sure. is you see artists working with other artists and bringing the scene up young and old, young and young, like everyone championing each other. But for some reason, and I'll just say rock, not metal, hardcore, any just rock music as a whole everyone seems to think that if i put you on then either you need to give me something or you're somehow taken away from what little bit i'm getting and i haven't figured out if that narrative comes from labels and management putting this fear of like you can't support other people because it'll make you look weak and it'll eventually bite you in the ass because that band may you know overtake your spot or whatever and i just i don't i don't know where this mentality started from but it seems like it's omnipresent in the scene forever yeah i i definitely agree it exists and it's there and it's been there for as long as i can remember before i was ever in a band that anybody had ever heard a (laughs) a single note of you know i remember it being there even within 
uh, you know, the small local shows. Um, there was definitely this uh, hierarchy and this political move to get on these certain shows and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think, at least I've never experienced it from the manager or label side of things. I just feel like th- it's this internal e- ego or uh, I don't know. May- maybe ego is the right word. It's it's this internal thing that that it's just an unspoken thing within our genre. You you like it's it's a big no no, uh, which sucks. And and I feel I feel like I do genuinely feel like it's getting better within the past. I mean, I specifically I think since the pandemic started. Ironically enough, I do feel like I see more of our peers lifting each other up. And uh, I even think that, and this is something else that I, I've addressed a couple of times on my uh, Twitch stream. Uh, I specifically brought it up when I had um, Cody from Wage War on and I had uh, Ryan from For Today on. Because both of those guys, uh, Ryan produces bands, but they both co-write with bands all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's been going on behind the scenes forever. Um, but it was very frowned upon to talk about within our genre. It's been a thing people have talked about in pop and country and e- every other genre in the world, but it's been a big no-no within our, within our genre. And I feel like within the past two, three, four years, it's becoming more and more okay to talk about, hey, we collaborated with Cody from Wage War on this song. Like, yeah. And I, and I think that's awesome. Why would you not bring the best brains to the table to, to take your music to the the next level. Like, and essentially when you're hiring a producer to make your record, they already are that person. You just don't call it a co-write, but they're already doing things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, real quickly, just cause I know I can see down below your screen looks like it normally does, but in this, it looks kind of a little pixelated. Is your, really? it might just be, it might be me. Um, let me, let me see. But I was expecting you to like look super crisp like you usually do. Oh, so you know to... what? Uh, is it better now? Uh, looks about the same to me right now. Really? This feels like a okay. this looks like a vision test. Like I yeah. said, the the thing down below where like we are in the quote unquote green room, right? I, it looks like your stream usually does, but in this it looks a little pixelated on, on my end. On my side, it looks normal, and then so I went down to settings. Mm-hmm. And then it's show advanced options and mm-hmm. uh, camera resolution. I have it set to full high definition. Yep. Okay. It might be a thing where after the fact it looks great, but like for whatever sure. reason, it's just lagging because it's probably so, so high def and advanced. It's, <laughs> I don't know lagging. about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but no, to, to piggyback off of what you were just saying, you know, I feel like that's the thing though. Like back in the day, like you look at some of the, the Uber producers, like, you know, your Rick Rubens, your, your Michael Beinhorns, your, you know, those people like in our, our kind of scene or your scene, I should say it's not mine, but uh, you know, those are people who got really in like the Ross Robinson's got really fucking in there with the bands to pull out the best. Now it looks a lot better. Um, but I mean, like you look at to me, cause like the other thing too is, you know, you're talking about people who, who songwrite for other bands and maybe they weren't as successful. Uh, Linda Perry, for example, had one hit herself, but was able to manifest a giant songwriting career, producing career for other people. And in that space, you look at a lot of people like, um, you know, Lady Gaga used to write songs for like Britney Spears and stuff like that. And Kesha used to write songs for all these people. And then finally was like, I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And I feel like there's not that either. Like, I don't I don't really know of many 
producers or songwriters in in this scene where there were a behind the scenes person first and then came out in and gained some notoriety as their own songwriters yeah I, no i it definitely seems to be the opposite with our world where it's a guy from a band who like maybe started out doing recording stuff by demoing out his band stuff and then he got a little bit better a little bit better and then he became the main songwriter in the band and then he started taking on his peers bands like that tends to be i think the more common approach uh, mm-hmm. i mean i see like for instance andrew wade that big producer he's done a day to remember uh, ghost inside wage war like he's done a ton of bands he's been doing some some of his own solo stuff but uh and it's fucking incredible if you haven't checked it out you should absolutely go check it out it's super cool um it it hasn't caught on yet, but I do think it will. Uh, but he's the only person that I can think of that has been like, I've been doing this for other people for years. I'm going to do some of my own shit now. Uh, like, I can't really think of anybody else from our genre that's done that. I All I can think is like the Tyler Smith, who, who he was in Danger Kids, and now he mm. produces like I Prevail and Falling in Reverse and uh, Bless the Fall, like, like all these bands. Uh, you know, which is the I think the exact same thing I just said, where he probably did all the the writing and pre production for his band Danger Kids, and then Danger Kids kind of stopped, so he started producing, and then now he's doing like he did Popular Monster with with uh, Ronnie for Falling in Reverse. Like the dudes had crazy radio hits at this point. Um, but it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't seem to go in the opposite direction for our genre. It's very odd. I never really thought about that. These are like the weird things that I start thinking of when I listen to records. Like I was, uh, so there's like a local band from our area uh, out in Lansing and actually potentially you may have played with them at some point. If you've come through here, uh, they used to be called, Nope. Uh, okay. but they played with a virtue for a while. Um, okay. they used to be called no life, but now they're heartsick. <clears throat> um, I do know the name. I do know okay. the name. I wonder if they played with TGI the last time we played in Lansing possibly alfonso was sort of like a booking agent at the the loft and i know that's well, the really last like time we last played lansing was yep was at the loft, loft yep uh, but i think you played with a virtue that night if i actually remember the tour I, the admin poster th- for I it i think you're right actually yeah um but it was one of those where like they've kind of brought me on as like a pr person which i sort of find amusing because i'm like i don't really think i can add value to you <laughs> in that capacity but like sure i guess fuck it let's figure this out but it's funny because like I'm at that Ice Nine Motionless and White tour uh, that came through a couple of days ago or about a week ago at this point. And I'm just sitting there looking at the show and I'm just, you know, I have these like things because Motionless isn't really my thing. Um, sure. You know, it, it's to me, it's funny because like I've said that they've been biting Breaking Benjamin choruses for like the last couple records. And if you say that, people were like, oh, no, I'm not even the same. I go, I can pinpoint like this one chorus is like this fucking Breaking Benjamin chorus to a fucking T. Um, and it's so obvious. Um, but I mean, if you're going to, you know, kind of piggyback off someone else's success, why wouldn't you do it like at an arena rock band if that's where you're trying sure. to go? Sure. So, but it's kind of weird because like being almost 40, it's like, I'm not there. I'm not technically their demographic, even though I think sort of I am because it's like, it mixes Manson. It mixes a little bit of like zombie. It mixes a little bit of AFI. Like it has like a little bit of some of these things from all of the eras of music that I came up with, but I'm watching the show and I'm just like, what makes people love this so much? Why do people love this band? And something I kept taking away was like, I was like, holy shit, they have like, 16 different versions of their logo constantly flashing 
behind them. They keep recycling content. So when they're playing, you know, they have the lyric videos so you can sing along, even if you've never fucking heard the band before, um, you know, they're, they're incorporating their music videos. So they're kind of getting a twofer out of the same content they already paid for. Yep. And then it kind of has dawned on me that it's like, there turns this point where you don't just play a collection of songs. You create a show from start to finish. The intro starts. And as soon as you hear that intro music, come on, the show has begun. And this is what you expect. And when I started kind of thinking about it like that, and then watching ice nine thing, it's like, okay, i saw ice nine when the uh, horror would just came out when they were on trade with the tour uh, with a, a trade in Memphis Mayfire. And they were two of four. And I've seen them pretty much every show since then. And to watch them reinvest into their show and it really be like a B-budget horror movie where like they had no props, no nothing. They tried as best as they could to bring those visuals out to life from the songs to then reinvesting everything back into it to making it a bigger thing. You know, having a makeup artist come out with them that probably didn't make dick and actually took away space on their van. Right. But it created more of a show. And to me, it's like, that's what seemingly separates, doesn't matter genre, that's what separates kind of what I'll say is a local mentality from, I want to make this a career maybe, is like you start thinking of ways that you maybe emulate the bands that you love, but there's there's just got to be that switch where like something changes. And that's the only thing that I've been kind of realizing now as I get older is like, that is what the difference is between people who are willing to pay seven ten dollars to come see you to 20 30 40 because they right. know that they're getting their money's worth out of you i feel like you've been living inside of have, have you been eavesdropping on our group chat for the past month or two no, no. The, I, I i do um i i do think that there's a very clear distinction uh once you start thinking about your band in the ways that Bands the size of Motionless and White and Blackfell Brides and Ice Nine Kills to talk specifically about that tour that you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, those bands are thinking, they're not just writing songs. When they're writing those songs, they're thinking about the visuals and all of the content. And what is what color is the color scheme of this entire record cycle? Like, what is all of our content going to look like? Is it going to be blues? Is it going to be... Uh, is it going to be black and gray for everything like Architects has done for the past couple of records? Like that's been their color scheme for everything they've done. Like these bands are thinking not just about the collection of songs, but what that collection of songs visually looks like over t-shirts, over music videos. What's what, what, how can we incorporate that theme into the lighting rig for our show? Like that, that is that is the kind of scale you have to think. You have to think through everything like that once you get to that level, or else your band. There's just no more. There's no more ladders for you to climb at that point. But again, I feel like that's part of this. Like you, you start to. You have to. I think you kind of have to accept that you're gonna. You're gonna get some people turn their nose up at you once you start thinking about uh, your band that way. When you come from this corner of our, uh, you know, our our world of music, it's it's you you start, you start to get. That band used to be cool. Back, Motionless was only cool when they put out Creatures, and after that, I didn't care about them anymore. It's like, well, okay, sure, whatever. I don't agree with you, but that's your opinion, and that's okay. But like that, once you start outgrowing that, that you know, the beginning stages of what you're doing, you definitely start to find people turning your nose up at you. Well, I feel like, you know, I was kind of thinking about it a little bit too, in in conjunction with you know, you guys had just celebrated the. 
probably gonna get the date wrong. Uh, the t- is it the two year anniversary of the the reunion show, the first show back out in L.A. Uh, it, well, we're coming up on three years. This okay. July will be three years. Okay. Let's see what what throws it off is the vinyl and the Blu-ray and all that just started getting out, so it's yep. kind of thrown off my timeline of like yep. All right. When, how long ago was this? Um, yeah, we, we definitely put those up for pre-order around the two-year anniversary okay. mark. Though, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I feel like the, the – speaking of the group text, I feel like the group text probably – I mean, you probably wanted to do some cool shit for it. But, I mean, I think if I remember correctly, it was supposed to be indoors. It was – it was you know, you thought that that would be a big enough room, and then it sold out. Then, you know, you guys – kind of figure something out and then made it the outdoor thing, like a a little mini like festival kind of. And I mean, I feel like at that point when you kind of realize like, Oh shit, we got to move it. And it's got to be bigger. Like I would assume instantly you're just like, well, the show has to be bigger. We have to do something other than just here we are. And we're playing like, that's like, I'm not saying this to be rude, but it's like, that's no longer enough. It needs to be bigger. You're, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. Um, and I think, well, uh, so that was a double whammy for us with that one is like, exactly like you said, we, we booked the shrine inside thinking that it might be too big and that like, you know, oh, maybe it'll sell out on walk-ups day of show. And then it sold out in like under minutes. three minutes and we were <laughs> fucking mind blown. So we, we were able to move it outside, which was far beyond anybody's expectations for that show. Um, and so at that point it was like, okay, well, the band's never drawn this many people before. Uh, so just on that alone, we have to step up the show because people are... It's it's one thing the band had played shows big, as big as that and even bigger supporting on festivals and stuff in Europe. Mm-hmm. But you're not, you're not the feature act in those scenarios. Whoever's headlining that day is the feature act. In this scenario, we had fans flying in from all over the world and we had to give them a show worth, you know, a flight from Australia. We had a couple of people flying from Japan, like people flying in from the UK and like we, we had to deliver a show that people had been supporting us all those years leading up to that moment uh, while we were recovering and then spent all that money to travel, spent money on tickets. Like we had to make it worth their time. And then the other side of it was, well, we didn't know if there was going to be another show after that. We literally went into that show saying, we aren't going to look any further past. Like we had a couple offers come in and we were like, tell them we're not even going to think about those until we see what it's like for us to get this one under, under our belts. Like we, we might finish this show and be like, there's no way we can handle ever doing that again. And so with that in mind, it was like, well, every single penny that comes from the show, we just have to put right back into the show. So, uh, we, we, Jim actually had a ton of the production ideas for mm. that show he he that that whole lighting rig and the stage setup and the pyro uh and the like the whole kabuki curtain thing we did like all of that was jim's idea um and jim jim's really good for that kind of stuff uh he he did some time tour managing and production managing for jason bonham doing mm. like the the led zeppelin evening or led zeppelin experience or whatever it is that he calls it mm-hmm. um so he got he got a ton of experience from that kind of stuff but um he kind of jumped up that whole thing and uh, seeing it come to life was first off, didn't feel like it. It did. <laughs> I, I, f- I felt very out of our element and it felt <laughs> like I don't like this is fucking wild, but I'm here for it. I'm going to soak it all up. But yeah, it, it was very much like it, uh, a couple cabs on stage and five dudes jumping around on stage, getting sweaty just isn't an, enough anymore. Like, 
we we want to deliver a show a performance like it's it's i i almost like to think about and and i'll probably get shit for this but like <laughs> I, I i went and saw uh metallica is my favorite band okay. and i and i went and saw metallica uh at bonnaroo in 2008 okay and and uh two of my friends went with me they're not metallica fans they went just because of all the other artists playing at bonnaroo and so they were seeing metallica for the first time and uh my friend steph turned to me and she goes it's crazy watching them because of how long they've been doing it it's almost like watching like a broadway musical like there's a there's a first act there's a there's a second act there's an intermission there's a third act and it's like everything moves like a well-oiled machine and like that's how i want to feel like our shows feel i want i want to feel like it's pacing in a way that keeps you engaged the whole time that you want to watch everything that there's something going on on this side of the stage that, but also something going on on this side of the stage and everybody has your attention at the whole time. And so I, it, ever since she said that to me, that's kind of stuck in the back of my head is like, wow, you're right. It almost, their show almost is like seeing a Broadway performance. It's funny. You say that <clears throat> talking with Patrick, when uh, we went out after their show, um, it was kind of funny because I was like, you know, it's crazy to see, you know, like a, the analogy I made where I was like, it's crazy to see how you took where I started seeing you. And then here we are five years later and you have like these LED screens and you do like a thing where when Spencer hits someone like blood splatters and like got all these characters and these people and all this kind of other costume changes. And, you know, it, it's really interesting just to see how your your stage show has evolved. And I go, but there was a moment and Bridget kind of hit me, my wife, and kind of hit me. It was like, oh, I think some blood's going to splatter. And I was like, oh, and then I go, you guys are at that level where I think people would probably really enjoy like a Guar kind of show out of you guys. And he goes, yeah, I think we're going to kind of go more of a like Broadway kind of style show, like where it is a show, not like that, like where we're going to probably limit where we can start playing and stuff like that. Like, and it was one of those where, again, it was really I love hearing shit like that because it's like, what are you thinking? Because you're you're in it. And I'm just peripherally seeing it every five, six, seven months and then seeing what's changed since the last time I saw you. And it's one of those where it's like, you know, if I'm thinking about it, it's interesting to see how far either I am from where you're at or what's coming or whatever. But to to see and know that they're already thinking about. So we want this is kind of where we want to start taking it, because, yes, we are at a crossroads right now. We could go shtick and like gore and spray people with fake blood and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure everyone would love it. Or we can go this other route and we can kind of see what happens there because we can always do this other thing. But once we kind of do that, that's probably all we're going to ever be known for. Whereas at least like if we go this other way, the trajectory could still be going further and, and up. I think that that makes perfect sense for them too. Cause if you first off, their music is fairly theatrical on its own, but Very then much. you watch the music videos that they've put out for the past two records. And you're like, I'm watching like a feature a film right now. Yeah. And I feel like it just, it fits the sound of their band. And you know, I'm interested to see where they go with that because uh, my uncle took me to see Queens forever ago. I don't remember how long ago it was now. <laughs> Operation Mind Crime. Yes. But but like they did both records back to back and they did it as a play. And I I've never been a Queensryche fan, but seeing it in play form like that, I was fully invested the entire time. And I feel like Spencer, I mean, I, everybody in the band, but I think Spencer is truly like the visionary in 
in Ice Nine, I think he has a vision that is like so intense that he could pull off something super fucking cool like that. Well, what's funny is I feel like what they've been doing in the rollout for their their last two records feels sort of akin. And again, showing my age. So that's why, like, I feel like I'm at this point where it's like, I'm starting to feel like my parents and like older people where it's like, oh, this from like when Manson came out, it's like, oh, well, this is what Alice Cooper did on like the billion dollar babies tour and stuff like that. Like it's this level of theatrics to, to the show, but the music's still kind of creepy and, and scary and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny when watching like all the ice nine stuff, it reminds me of like when bands would make mini movies that were essentially the record. So it's like, remember Michael Jackson's Moonwalker? Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. that was essentially small music videos that created a full story, but it was the record to, to a script basically. And, you know, you even look at like what Kanye did on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, where he essentially did the same thing. And it's like, it's not new, but again, you're I, the two people I'm mentioning pop and hip hop it's not really been done in this scene. So to see a band doing it and one that appeals to a younger generation and demographic that's constantly on YouTube and all that shit anyway, like, and then doing the, like the Easter egg things where it's like, Oh, if you find this and unlock this code then you get, you know, pre-sale access to something, I don't know. But I mean, code orange kind of did that as well, but I think to a very smaller scale, um, or I should say not a smaller scale, but a smaller demographic of people. But it, it's just one of those where like you see these things and you're like, that's not a new idea, but it's it's presented in a way that it, it seems fresh and new because you've presumably no one has seen it. That's, you know, right. fans of it, this band. It's it's definitely fresh to our world. And and the like you said, they I mean, Ice Nine definitely appeals to, I would say, a, a younger audience. And some I mean, they definitely don't know, you know, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker for sure. There's no <laughs> way. You know what I mean? Uh yeah, man, it's great. I, I, I think you're right. I would actually almost love to see them release the next record as, like, as a movie that comes with like the, the soundtrack, the digital version of the record. Yeah. So I, I feel like they almost could go the route of like a rocket picture horror show kind of thing, where whatever the next record is could be the movie, but the soundtrack just lives on, and they're able to tour it. But I mean, it, it's it's just so interesting because like I feel like we're at this interesting cross-section where i feel like you know i was talking with uh joey from uh, uh varsity the other day and you know i was talking about how there seems to be a lot of influence of pop and r&b coming into you know modern metalcore you know with bands like you know I mean, they're not new but like the plot new like chris from like mazda flames you know uh telly from the word alive like and even brad from emerosa and like dance gavin like you're starting to get all these bands that are bringing in these influences and i'm like it's just a matter of time before I feel like we're going to kind of get this cross pollinization. And I don't want to say necessarily it's going to be new metal like, but I feel like there's going to be something because it seems like all of those bands I just mentioned very much think very thematically like on a record, like this record is this. And that's why these collection of songs go in this order. This is the theme overall, lyrically, sonically, whatever. And I feel like we're starting to maybe interestingly enough, starting to get away from here's the single here's the single here's the single eight filler tracks that you're probably never going to listen to anyway and we're never going to play like it seems like people and, and bands are starting to go back to this is an album yeah uh i uh you know it's funny uh i was trying to well let me let me think about how i'm going to say this because i don't want to give too many things away here 
<laughs> but I was trying to to come up with uh, ideas of artists for a hypothetical show the other day, <laughs> and uh, and I was having a discussion with actually my same buddy that was here today. I was talking about earlier, uh, and he brought up a couple hip hop artists, and he's like, he said the same thing as you, like, dude, the lines between like the metalcore, hardcore, punk rock world is like very much starting to blur with the hip hop R&B side of things to the point that like it's almost the same fan base and we're like slowly shifting in that direction where you it's it's not going to be weird to see a hip hop artist on the same show as a Knocked Loose or a Ghost Inside or whoever I just think I, I I actually think that those lines are. I mean, look at well, look at so what festival. I was just gonna say so what, and I and I think you know, good on Mike Zemer and and, and Orlando and the entire like third string productions team for like putting that together. Like it that couldn't be more in uh, indicative of where this world of music is kind of colliding into that that you can put all of those artists on the same festival. And and somehow it doesn't feel weird. It kind of almost feels like it makes sense. Well, I feel like, you know, and I don't know how ensconced in that world, you know, the kind of more fresher hip hop stuff that's kind of coming out. But I mean, it's like, it's it's not super like blatantly obvious, but like, you know, you look at someone like a trippy red or like what juice world was doing and some of these other guys and they're, they're kind of more of that, you know, this is a weird comparison to make, um, but they're kind of almost in that, like, uh, postal service kind of sure. thing where you're not quite indie, you're not electronic, you're not pop, but you're something in between all of those things. Right, right. And to me, the thing that I'm more looking forward to seeing what happens from that festival, what collaborations are going to happen? Cause you know, someone is going to run into somebody that like, excuse me, I'll use you guys. For example, it wouldn't entirely surprise me to have somebody from the other side of the festival, come up to you and be like, you know, I saw you on a reaction video. Like, I forget what the one dude's name is. They either go oh, like always goes ape shit. Uh, and he seems like the hip hop dude, but he's like reacts to metal videos or whatever. I forget his name. Uh, is it Tulip Mafia? Because that guy's yeah. the man. Yep. So it wouldn't surprise me if someone were to be like, oh, I saw your video on Tulip Mafia. And then I checked out the record and I really love the record. I love this song or I like this. And, you know, maybe we should do something together or write a song or, hey, you know, I was thinking about maybe borrowing a part of one of your songs on a new song or whatever. Like it wouldn't surprise me because that's what festivals used to be like. You know, you look at the uh, family values tours used to be great for that. Like random collaborations or things that would happen on the next record, like significant other, like Limp Biscuit went out and did that family values with Method Man and Redman. Well, now Meth's on the new Limp Biscuit record, right? You know, like just weird shit like that just happens because you, you happen to be in the same place at the same time with another creative so I'm interested to see what happens from that festival that creates kind of an even more bridging of the two genres or multiple genres at once. I didn't even think about that, but I think you're probably onto something. And I also think that this is going to be probably the beginning of seeing more festivals and more shows, just even just, I mean, maybe even tours, just a regular tour package that's more mixed up and diverse like this too. I, I, I don't doubt that we'll see more of things like that popping up in the next year or two as well. Be, well because, I mean, because of shows like so what? 
Well, I, I mean, even looking at like what, you know, Knock Loose, Code Orange, and even Turnstile is a bigger one, seeing yep. them kind of being the band that breaks through for everybody else and kind of being like, hey, anyone else that wants to come up here? Like, yeah, come with us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's just so weird because like, like you said, we, we said earlier, like the scene itself self cannibalizes. And, you know, what I've kind of come to learn is it's a vocal minority, but because it's the loudest in a smaller space, it seems like it's bigger than it is. But like, you know, this is it's not a punching down joke, but it's like for everyone that apparently hates Nickelback on the Internet, how are they selling out arenas? Yep. Yep. It, it's that's completely valid. And like all, all of those, uh, you know, those uh, campaigns to like sign now to, to keep Nickelback from playing the the halftime show, you know, like Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to like them. That's totally fine. But they are they're not as hated as people want to make them out to be because you're right. They do still go on tour and sell out arenas and have platinum records. They're 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 doing just fine. I'm, I hate to break it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think that's the thing that like it's so upsetting kind of is just like just grow beyond your own fucking world like i couldn't imagine just having the one singular focus like this is all i do this is all i listen to it because like i would just miss out on so much cool shit like you know like atlanta is one of my favorite places to go and there's a bar that i go to literally every single day i'm there and like one night we were there on a sunday night before like before we had to go out on monday and they do like classic hip-hop they have someone spinning records and like they were playing some like just old shit. And I remember like the person that we went down there was like, I didn't know you liked hip hop, not like this. And I was like, yeah, dude, like, right. But it was funny. Cause like, then all of a sudden he's like, like after we left, he's like, well, what was that one song that you were kind of rapping to? It had like this kind of beat. I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, outcast. That was off of the, their first record or like, Oh, this is, you know, too short or whatever. And this is, you know, something like that. Like where it's like, you can just start ramming off, like naming off like all the people and different artists. And they're like, Oh, but it, like it was cool because then I was like, I mean, that's old shit to me, but it was cool to expose it to someone else who was around for it, but apparently wasn't around for it. S- somehow missed it. Yeah, uh, I I don't know if it's the same way for you, but in those moments, uh, uh, getting to share like we you were in my stream the other night and and uh, we kind of go started going down the rabbit hole of like. The early it dies today, and the haste today is, and the poison the wells, and the a dozen furies talking about battle for us, and all that, and all, and all that stuff, and like getting to share that stuff with people who didn't, like you said, didn't experience, somehow missed the boat on it, uh, gets me excited about it all over again. I always end up going down the rabbit hole of re-listening to all of that stuff again for like weeks afterwards. Like I, I've just been listening to it dies today, like nonstop Same. since that stream the other night. Well, like, it's funny is like speaking to Patrick again, he com- constantly makes the comment on like his Instagram feeds and so forth. And and even I, when I'm like, dude, just check out Blizz Machete. He's like, never heard of that band. And then I'll be like, oh, it's it's Howard's. But he's like, I don't listen to like the old, old bands like that. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, you are missing out on so much. Yes. But like the thing is, is like I've always been an inquisitive person musically. So like I so like my love of hip hop and especially growing up out East from Delaware, like I know a lot of people, when I say that a lot of people are just like, what the fuck's in Delaware? And it's like, yeah. nothing yeah. is really from yeah, Delaware, fuck? but here's the thing. We were like an hour from Philly. So like all the kids I went to school with who had friends, family in Philly, like would go to Massachusetts. Like, you know, we were in Jersey and stuff like that. It's like, you're kind of having people bring you these different things, almost kind of at the height of like tape trading and stuff like that. 
And so being in the East Coast in the early 90s, right before I moved out here in like 95, 96, it's like, you know, I'd have someone show me boys to men. I remember going to my neighbor's house to play NBA Live 95 and him putting on the, the first Aaliyah record. And I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? Like, I'd never heard anything like that. But then also I'd go home and my parents are younger. So we'd have MTV on almost all day. So I'm getting 120 minutes. I'm getting, so there's my alternative. I'm getting MTV raps. There's that. I have headbangers boss. I'm getting metal and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it's just 90s. So you're getting weird crossover stuff like Gin Blossoms and Hootie and the Bluefish and stuff like that. So it was a really interesting time period for music uh, to just kind of be very regional and then to even kind of see it in, in the hardcore scene where it's like you have your East Coast hardcore and your West Coast hardcore and same with punk rock and all that kind of stuff. Like everything, once you kind of realize there is a region two things gets really interesting. And for me, like I was watching that documentary on Netflix about uh, the history of hip hop or the evolution of hip hop and yep. basically it breaks it down in different categories. So it's not just a, a, a linear storytelling, but it's like, okay, here's the era of super producers and here's the people that kind of ushered in that. And part of that, which is important is because of the sounds, the sound that permeates into, into the culture and into the, you know, uh, the zeitgeist musically, so it's like, you know, I was around when the South came, you know, with Atlanta and then, you know, the No Limit stuff and, you know, all that kind of those kind of things. And it was really weird because I, I never could pinpoint kind of that that late 80s, early 90s, lo-fi backpack kind of rap style. Sure. I couldn't pinpoint where that like came from and then left. Like I couldn't figure out where it where that bridge was. And then as stupid as it is to say this, I did my homework on Jay Dilla. And that was the missing piece. That was the missing piece from like that New York style, like, you know, chopped and screwed style, like stuff like that, like that backpack lo-fi kind of rap style of sample heavy shit to what Kanye did with it out of Chicago where he sped it up. And then he was doing, you know, stuff like the blueprint and things like that. And once Dillo, once I did my Dillo homework and then would go back and listen to like common, I would go back and listen to slum village. I'd go back and listen to like all the stuff that Dilla did. I was like the Kanye stuff made so much more sense that it was the progression that I was missing. And so like when a lot of people ask me, like, what are you listening to? That's new. I don't really listen to new stuff. I go back and try to find where like maybe a piece that I'm missing in, in my history of whatever I listen to. Where did it come from? Sure. Go back and, and try to connect the dots. Exactly, because I feel like that will inform you when you see a band like Knock Loose, when you see a band like Code Orange, you're like, ah, you're mm, got it. You're kind of marrying like a little bit of ministry, a little bit of typo mixed with some hate breed, mixed with some mad ball, mixed with some biohazard, throw in a dash of like just weird shit, like for whatever, like and boom, here you go. Excuse right. me. That's why I think that's why I think Knock Loose is more important in our extreme scene because they like are able to bring like the Panteras, the crowbars, like that kind of slow sludgy shit, but marry it to thrash and like hardcore and like D beat stuff and kind of merge, you know, with them being kind of a Midwest band, they kind of bring all of the, the different uh, geographical locations together. Cause they kind of are a hybrid of everything. And I think that's what makes it interesting to see it and then kind of be like, well, now where are you going? And especially right. with having will produce it, who also knows and has his hand in like death metal and, and all these kind of things. And it's like, all right, well, now you throw that flavor in there. And then it's like, dude, like this is interesting because it makes it fun for someone like me who's been listening to shit 
but I still get excited to go see that band because I'm like, you make me feel like I did when I heard all those bands for the first time. And I think that's what's missing out of a lot of bands now is if you're older like us, maybe all we hear is just the influence. And then you go, well, I'd rather just go listen to what I know I like because I like it already. I don't have to be like, well, there's the one song out of your shit that I like. Right, right. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Will because his uh, his knowledge of heavy music is like, it's like second to none. It is insane. Uh, and, and it, uh, I mean, he just is like the right guy to be doing the knocked loose stuff. It Absolutely. just makes sense. It just makes sense. But I think like in that same breath though, I feel like because of what he's doing with ice T and body count, I feel like he's also kind of got a, a foot in that world too. Like, you know, talking to Will the last time I had him on, you know, we talked about him c- continuing the legacy and the lineage of body count and giving ice a new platform to speak on these things that he's been talking about for 30, 40 years now. And kind of, you know, these are things that will, I know also cares deeply about. So just him getting to add to the the conversation, I guess is the, is the way to put it is, you're included in the table, but you also get to add to the conversation that will continue a conversation after the fact. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I, I think that, I mean, so will was, uh, tracking a couple vocals for some new body count, while we were there doing the last ghost inside record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that that's like, it's definitely something that will doesn't, uh, he he holds a lot of pride in working on the and and being allowed into that circle of people to work on those records. You know, I know it's really important to him. Mm-hmm. I I think that you know, like you said, he he cares very deeply about you know all the topics that uh that that they've been bringing up. But I think that he also uh, it's important for them that they brought him in because he helped bring that band in more into like the modern age. Like what what would Body Count sound like? in 2022 well will's definitely the guy to help you get there you know what i mean absolutely Uh, that it's like the the absolute dream team for for that scenario as well but i think even the success of body count in a newer generation speaks to what we were just saying a little bit ago where will helps write like i had ernie c on and he was like yeah will sometimes will be like hey i got this part he's like man fuck it you play it i don't care like yep, as long as yep. the song's good, I don't care. Like we want the best song. I don't care who plays it. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be someone in the band. If someone's got a good part and they can fucking play it to make the song the best it can be, that's all that matters. Yep. And and it was it was the same way with our record too. It didn't matter who brought something to the table. Uh, if it was good and everybody agreed it was good, well, fucking put it on the record. If it's Will, cool. If it's Andrew, which it was most of the time, cool. Like whatever it's, it's to, to me, it's like exactly like you said, whatever's best for the record. Let's do that. And let's, and let's just leave all the ego stuff at the door. Has that been something with your Twitch streams that you've been surprised that maybe people trip out about the most is who does what or the, the roles that everyone assumed were in the band? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, we've, we've been very vocal about, um, Andrew, being the main contributor musically for the last record um, because he put in a lot of fucking work on, on that record, you know? Um, and that record just doesn't happen without Andrew. Uh, so I think maybe at first, yeah. Uh, and occasionally we'll get new people to the stream and it'll come up and it'll be like, wait, what your drummer, your drummer wrote that. Oh, you're, 
Oh, and your drummer recorded most of the guitars too. Yeah. Oh, and he played the drums on the record with one leg. I mean, yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, so I, th- I think that's shocking, but I think it's even more shocking for people to find out that like, you know, with most of their favorite bands, it was probably one guy that played like 90% of the instruments on the records just because it just turns out better that way. It turns out tighter that way, you know? And I, I think that blows people's minds most of the time, more than anything. I think that has been, I've been loving the transparency when it comes to things like that. Like very recently. And like, this is, you know, so I'm not speaking on a turn, but I knew this before he was a little bit more vocal about it. But I remember when the new record was like kind of done, uh, Patrick and Joe, their bass player, were yeah. talking about a song that was coming out. Actually, they did the Elvis cover. And then the two of them went on Instagram live and everyone was like, oh, I love the new song, love the new song. And then Joe, like, I think Joe was like, yeah, did you know we we're putting out a song today? And then Patrick's like, no, not until I saw the press release, like on whatever site. He's like, right. didn't even know we were doing it. And then, you know, they were talking about how within the dynamic of that band that, you know, it's Spencer, it's probably Dan. Joe does write some stuff, um, but it, it's kind of they have their own team and the team does what they do. And that's fine. Everyone understands that. And the thing that I love and I wish more bands would be vocal about it and kind of treat it like Spencer where it is kind of Spencer's thing, but I wish, but I love how he wants everyone involved in the band to be, you know, their own person within the band to have their fandom, to have people, you know, want to be fans of of the people in the band individually and as a collective. And the thing that's interesting about it though, is very recently Patrick's been like, yeah, I didn't drum. Those are programmed. I didn't do them. And it, and like fair enough funny, respect yeah, but I, I love watching people be like oh i love your drums on this he's like i didn't do them <laughs> they're programmed <laughs> and it's I, it's I just respect that though 100 but it's one of those like i like i remember when the record came out i go happy release day for a record that we're programmed and you had nothing to do with and he was like hey thanks <laughs> but but then he, the flip side of that though there are like your example like when i was talking with andrew uh, when we did our chat about the one decade thing. But at that point, literally when I was saying like, you know, if you have a hard out, let me know. We like, we weren't necessarily done talking, but Andrew was so excited because he had just gotten the final mixes for the record. He's like, I, I want to show you, I, I haven't heard them yet. So I want to go and listen to him. Right. And then we, like, we just sat in his room and I'm kind of the last person to like, have someone show me something like to literally sit with from with it. And someone was like, let me show you this song. And I'm like, cause like, I remember, I forget what song it was. I was like, it's kind of weird because usually like you don't do that as as a pre-chorus. Usually that's kind of like your bridge. And he goes, yeah, so that was a Will thing. Will was like, hey, make that, put this here and kind of like help us put it all together. Yep. And then like, you know, I kind of noticed like little things. So I'm saying these things out loud because they're things I'm noticing. I'm like, oh, that's different. Oh, that's kind of cool. And then like at one point I was like, do you have your, your, your rollout plan for this record yet? And he goes, yeah, why? And I go, Huh. is it going to be this, this, and this? And he was like, sort of, we're going to do this one and then those two. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he was like, what do you think of this one? I was like, I think that's going to be the song that alienates people. And they're like, oh, well, now they're trying too hard to go like Octane and da-da-da. And he was like... One choice. Yep. <laughs> and then he was just like, well, yeah, like I like shit like that. And like, who wouldn't want to be on Octane? And I was like, yeah, I totally get it. I was like, but if I were you, I would probably put that as your middle single instead of, I think at the time it was talked about as a third. I go, because you want to have the big comeback anthem, the fucking ass beater, and then basically show that one as kind of like the last one before the record comes out. And you kind of get a fuller picture of everything. Um, 
but it was just kind of funny, like talking like that to someone. And I'm literally listening to a record for the first time. I'm like, what's your rollout plan for this? What's this? What's this? Right. <laughs> I'm just like, who the fuck am I? Why am I even asking these questions? I don't fucking have a say. But it, it's it's funny. But to- it's, it's cool to have those kinds of conversations, especially if you can pick like if I had the opportunity to sit down with somebody in a band that I enjoyed when I before I got into this world and could pick their brain on the whole process, I probably would have punished the living fuck out of them about it. But I think I think that's the thing. And I guess this kind of goes to another question about you doing the stream. So I'll say between me shittily doing band things and kind of that being soured for me, then booking shows and having that soured for me and then also souring going to shows for me because I can't ever go like, hey, the show's awesome. I'm like, all right, tickets for this. I wonder what the guarantee was. This room was cold. <laughs> right. I, I'll just start doing numbers in my head, yep. um, which sucks. But uh, it's one of the it's just one of those things. Um, but it's it's one of those where I feel like potentially and I, I feel like I see it literally on your face. I can see it when you're doing the stream. It seems like you've kind of maybe shed some of that jadedness and, and kind of gotten back to falling in love with being a musician and, and being a fan of music. That is completely true. Uh, 100%. In fact, part of why I started doing the stream was because because when the pandemic hit and everything started getting canceled, I just didn't touch my guitar hmm. for months and months and months and months. Because like, what's the fucking point? Like, we're never going to go play shows again. Like, well, why am I even bothering? And then at some point I was like, well, you're just you're just being a bitch. You're just fucking <laughs> you're, you're just feeling bad for yourself. Like, get over it. You know, and can then, I, can I yeah. cut you off right there and ask you a question though? Yeah, absolutely. So you say that and the first thing that comes to my mind is did that same mentality that I would assume you went through with the crash and the accident, did that, how you worked your way through that and the rehab go through that, did that inform you to be like bad thinking, don't do that. And then do this. 100 percent uh and and we've been saying with like kind of within our circle and i think some of us have said it on podcasts and stuff we've said uh or done since the pandemic started uh that like the accident kind of weirdly positioned us mentally to i think probably handle this whole past Mm. you know two years a little bit better than uh some of our peers uh just because we we've gone through the sudden like here's your life and now it's gone like Hmm. we we've done that before we've had to figure out how to be the guy like i just had to figure out how to be chris and not chris from the ghost insider chris from texas in july like i've had to do that already and um it 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 bummed me out watching all of our peers kind of struggle and go through that that same process uh because i don't think there's anything anybody can really say to you to help you like figure out your path through that and 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 how to uh navigate all of that. And so having to sit back and watch other people go through it too is a bummer. But yes, I do think that the process of us navigating back from the accident and healing both physically and mentally absolutely was, was a big part of like, all right, I'm getting down in the hole again. Uh, time, time to figure out like what is going to be my outlet to get me out of this, you know, this cycle that I'm in right now. Uh, and, and it, it actually happened by accident because Vigil's been streaming on Twitch basically since the accident. He's been streaming, playing games and stuff. And I, and forever, I just thought Twitch was like, what the fuck am I going to do on Twitch? I don't play games that often, you know? 
and then I saw, started seeing like Matt Hafey from Trivium and uh, Neil from A Day to Remember was streaming for a long time. And I was like, oh, here it is. Here's my accountability. I'm going to show up Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, and I'm going to play guitar. And uh, hopefully a couple people show up too, because that means that I have to do it then. And then once I started doing it, I was like, oh, that was really fun. Oh, they're asking me to learn songs that I've never played before. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Now I have a bit of a challenge. And then in the beginning, I hadn't played guitar in months. It was like, oh, am I even going to remember how to play this song? So it all became a game. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and then it's and then it turned into a community. And then I realized how much I missed the community-based aspect of going to shows and playing shows and how much that was really playing into my depression and like, oh, fuck it, I'm never going to play music again kind of mindset. Like, because I, I, I talk about this pretty often with the guys, but like, I still feel like that teenage kid that just went to a show for the first time every time I go to a show. Like, I still, like, I live for this stuff. Like, I love music and I love heavy music and I love pop and I love some country and I love the breaking Benjamins of the world. Like I love it all. I love going and experiencing live music. Like that's my thing. And so part of that is going to shows and you know, maybe I haven't seen my buddy in a month, but I know this show is coming in town and we're both going to be there and we're going to get to catch up. Like, and I didn't realize how much of that I was actually missing until I knew that like, you know, these 10 guys and gals are going to show up every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern to hang out with me for a couple hours and just talk music and I'll get to play some songs and they can request some songs and I'll play it for them and like stuff like that. And then on Saturdays, we'll get together for a couple hours and they'll just say, hey, this song came out today. You should check it out. And I get to like experience new music with them for the first time on stream. And I, I didn't realize how much it was the two-way communication and like the, the, um, connection over the bond of music that i was truly missing of it all because like you know and and until recently with andrew moving to vegas like for a while there like none of us lived in the same state Mm -hmm. and so like i went almost two years without seeing the guys in the band either in person you know i was only seeing them through like facetime calls and stuff and so i was like i i literally i love my family that my wife is not a music person (laughs) <laughs> and so like we we just we don't that's not one of the things we connect on so many other levels but that's not like that's just not her thing and that's okay that's not your love language yeah and, and that's okay and that doesn't bother me uh but i i definitely was missing that connection of having the, like those deep conversations about that kind of stuff with people that you you like going to a show is you live that experience together i was missing that and the stream was the closest I was getting to that. And it, it fully pulled me out of like that cycle of depression that I was finding myself stuck in for sure. It's been weird for me. Cause like, you know, like I joked with you setting this up, like talking about doing it tonight where I'm like, Oh, my wife usually watches like insert house hose of whatever on this night or teen mom too, or whatever, just shit. I'm not into. Right. And I constantly make the comment. Like I know that she has a, a stressful a career and adult job and and i don't um and so instead of you know i know how it feels when i've had uh significant others kind of shit on the thing that i like and i'm like man what the fuck this brings me enjoyment like right you should be should at least like even if you don't get it you don't like it that's fine but don't don't kind of like make me feel stupid or whatever for not liking it and so like when my wife watches those shows i'm like i'm gonna go play a video game i'm gonna go work on a podcast i'm gonna go do something because 
I'll give that time to you. That is your right. time to enjoy that thing. And I don't want to ruin that for you because right. I know what it's like to have that ruined as stupid as it is to be like, fine. If, if this garbage TV is what gets you through your day or brings you some happiness, do it. Sure. Um, but I, you know, I know that that's, that's hard for some people to kind of navigate, especially in a marriage um, where it seems like you're, you're somehow like, it almost feels like you're like, well, not, not fully committed to like you. Cause like I'm going and doing this other thing. And I, I know like with Twitch, like it's been weird, like going into these different rooms and in these, and you know, following different people. Like I think Telly rated you and that, like I've seen you pop up and I'm always like, I still got your thing, but typically you're streaming when other people I, I yep. follow do. And I know more personally. So I'm like, eh, I'm going to kind of like stick with the person I know. Yep. Um, but then it was like, you know, I popped in on your stream and then it was like, and I've noticed this happen as I've kind of expanded a little bit more beyond my people. I know where I might comment something and it'll be like, Oh my God, I love your show. And I'm like, what? Cause like in my head, I think I see people listen to it, but like I get like no feedback from anybody. So it's just sure. like, here it is. It's released. Throwing Crickets. it out into the void. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then it just becomes this thing where you're like it for me, it becomes a very insular thing where you do it because you have the passion and desire to do something. And it's not about the attention you may or may not get, but it is weird. Like when you're like, Hey, you just put on an episode with JT. And then like four people in the comment are like, I love your show. I love this episode. I'm like, Oh fuck. Weird. Did not expect that. But like, that was right. like, and that was a nice little ego boost. Like I took like when your stream was done, I was like, yeah, I feel, feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> Like, you know, flexing a little bit, just coming out of the stream, like, you know, coming out to my wife. And she's like, oh, you're happy. I was like, people, people know my show and they liked it. Uh, people I've never seen or talked to ever. So it's not even like I'm like, oh, of course you like it because you're my friend. Right. Uh, but it was just one of those things where I have kind of, you know, I, I would do a Patreon thing where, where I would put these weekly playlists together, just like shit that would come on because, you know, I might be like, oh, this song and then this song begets another one, begets another one. And it was a thing where for a while, like I was, it was fun making them and explaining like why I like this song or why this, like why I picked this song or whatever. Then it kind of became tedious. Cause I'm like, I've just been listening to a lot of podcasts. So I haven't really been listening to a whole lot of music because for a while before I made it more this way, I would sit there and I just listen to records and I'm like, all right, what is the talking point? What is it? Right. What is the question from this or, or whatever. And so it became work. And yep. then it became like music sucks and I don't want to listen to it because like, that's how I look at it now. And now I'm kind of back in this thing where I've kind of taken a little bit of a break from podcasts and I'll just like, be like, Hey, Siri play Jim blossoms. Uh, hey, jealousy. And then it'll play. Hey, jealousy. Great and then, track. Great oh, track. Yeah. But then like, you know, it pulled up the other day. It pulled up uh counting crows. Uh, what uh, angels, angels from recovering the satellites or something like that. And I was like, man, this song is fucking like, it's fucking quick. It's a fucking banger. The chorus is like the drummer just is going ape shit on this track. I was like, holy fuck. I was like, I forgot how good this song is. Right. And then it was like, here comes like this, this train song and like semi-sonic and like all this other stuff. And I'm like, God damn, the production on this shit is like so fucking massive. And like, then it was just like funny. I was like, ah, I forgot. Like I do, I still do love music and I still love things coming on but it's like i'm kind of i myself am re kind of falling in love with like listening to music again and not to make it kind of a job yep. and i feel like when i go into like you know your stream and somebody else some of these other people's it kind of brings me that connection that i've kind of lost doing these where it is so one-on-one -on -one and so insular that it's like like 
why why do I do this? Like I don't think anyone like doesn't seem like anyone cares. Um, sure. Yeah, that's, I, I can understand that feeling for sure. Yeah. Well, so I've been talking about. I don't remember if I talked about or brought this up in the stream the other day, but I I have been weirdly fascinated with how as music fans we are two years behind you as creatives because what you're living through now isn't what you're writing about. But by the time you write and record it and put it out, you're already done and beyond that, moving on to the next thing that you is in, is informing you of what you're creating. So it feels weird to to realize and it's a very therapy brain that I that kind of got me to this conclusion where it's like you're constantly living in this weird space where it's like I'm thinking in the now I'm looking forward, but I also have to be in the past because I have to talk about this thing that happened two years ago or unfortunately for you guys like. I think the accident thing is going to be something that perpetually you will always have to talk about in press. Um, yeah. Even though, even though that podcast you did, I think it should just be required listening. Like anybody who asked that, you're just <laughs> interviewing over, go listen to that. We'll reschedule this when you're done with that. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask. But beyond that, like we answered and did everything uh, and made people like me cry at my job that I used to have. And people were like, what the fuck's wrong? I'm like, nothing, nothing. It's fine. It's fine. Someone's dad well, they make, leg. <laughs> yeah, if it makes you God, feel any better, I I cried listening to that, and I had heard that story before, and it still made me I cry. Know. So I feel you. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Uh, it's one of those where I feel like, but I mean, that represented again, like why I love the podcast medium so much more than listening to a record. I'd rather hear the story firsthand and hear the emotion. And I'm not saying you can't hear the emotion in your record. But let's be honest, there's kind of a weird balance where you have to play it for perfection versus with some feeling. And, and Will's really good at kind of marrying the two. But right. uh, I think the record is infinitely more interesting when you hear all the first hands accounts. Like, you know, I remember kind of getting choked up when Andrew was telling me about still here and how everyone recorded their shit and then sent the files to will to then throw in. So it's literally all of you. And yep. like, like I remember like when he told me that I was like, Holy shit. Like I would have yep. never, I mean, you're just hearing this thing for like a second and you're like gang vocals, whatever. But to right. know the, the, the importance of the gang vocals, man, like that is what I find so interesting about like behind the scenes stuff and like documentaries and things, because it feels like it makes things more important. Yeah, and now you're making me feel like maybe we should have put out like a a version of the record where like we did a more in depth like almost like a, like a like a commentary? Uh, director's commentary. Like maybe we should put out a commentary version of that record for like the anniversary of the. I guess we're coming up on th- fucking three. No, two year anniversary two of the record. Two year anniversary I mean, of the record in a couple months. You guys have something like this that you could easily do that on. <laughs> It's true. Maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should do that. Now you got, now you got me thinking. Now you I have an me. idea. I'm like, I like throwing out one idea at every episode. <laughs> I, I love it. I'm here for it. No, uh, I, I think you're absolutely right though about, uh, as a listener, you are one to two years behind where the band's at. And that's, that's something I never really considered, uh, ever up until now. Actually, you just kind of blew my mind with that statement, but you're absolutely correct. Thank therapy for that. <laughs> and, 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 uh, it kind of plays into, it's a, to, it's a topic for a song that didn't make our most recent record. Um, 
the the song just never got finished and there, therefore the lyrics never <laughs> never went anywhere either but <laughs> but there there was uh there was a specific thing and Vigil might have talked about this in the podcast that you're referring to um but you know Vigil has always written these really inspiring songs and like really inspiring lyrics and uh lots of songs about persevering and overcoming and uh, like all sorts of d- terrible life circumstances or whatever um and there'll be things he writes about in the moment that he certainly is going through or feeling in the moment, but then you move past it and you kind of, you kind of don't think about the moment you were in anymore until, you know, we ended up in the accident and the fans kept like sending lyrics and like tweeting lyrics and tagging us in it or posting lyrics on, on Instagram and tagging us in and being like, wow, those are like eerily specific to like what we are all living through right now. And Vigil wrote those fucking forever ago and like now we're really truly having to live those words right now it's both like prophetic and like fucking eerie um it's crazy something i i think i joked with andrew about this a lot like a while ago does it feel does it feel like there's been a I mean cuz they're still out so I guess maybe not an actual passing of the torch but does it feel like you've kind of taken over or visual I should say where like like the justas of the world like <laughs> where they are the motivators of through positivity like in the hardcore scene does it kind of feel like you become that band I mean obviously you have to I feel like at this point to be that band to so many people um I don't know. It, and and I think that that would be hard for me to say because I'm like, I'm just forever the new guy in the band. You know what I mean? The band was so far <laughs> as established before I came along. Uh, but I mean, but I feel I, like actually that, that gives you the perspective because I mean, you would maybe. have been a fan and then now you're a part of it. So you can kind of speak to it in both capacities. I mean, I guess may, maybe to some extent, um, you know, I, I hold a lot of stock in the things that Vigil has to stay. Uh, and and watching the process of the lyrics come to life for the newest record, uh, I mean, w- I feel like it was kind of a final chapter of healing for me to get over that mm-hmm. last little hurdle. Like, uh, so yeah, I mean, for me personally, I want to say yes, but it's hard for me to. I mean, Hatebreed is like, come on, I know. it's fucking Hatebreed. That's a huge band for me and everybody in our band. And so I don't think that any of us are ever going to be comfortable going, yeah, I think you're right on that one. You know, like, I don't think any of us are gonna be like, duh. I, I mean, I hope I, I'll say, I hope so because I know that Hatebreed was that band for me and a ton of my friends. And I think that uh, probably that, that band for a lot of the guys in our band. Uh, but I don't know, but I hope so. I hope that we can, can have a similar kind of impact for sure. I feel like that's that's got to be the weird, the weirdest part. As I, you know, I guess let me back up a little bit. So, uh, talking with Andrew, like when he put out that first one decade EP, and I remember when we were talking about doing one of these, you know, and I was like, I really want to talk about this EP because, like, it it has taken me back to growing up. Uh, with my cleft lip and palate and going and having a lot of surgeries and a lot of these, these feelings of spending a lot of time in the hospital that like, unless you just literally have been there uh, and just know the sights and sounds and more specifically the smells um, of, of being in something like that for as, as long as not consistently as, as all of you were, 
but consistently enough over my childhood that I was like that first one decade EP really kind of takes me back to some really like, I guess kind of un- at the time unprocessed traumas kind of that I was like, shit, I guess I haven't really dealt with this or, or it's shocking how as a child, I'm still able at, you know, 30 some odd years later to pull some of these memories back instantly. Um, through music, no less like the fact that I just, and, and music with no lyrics too, that he has done such a job of bringing forth emotion through music that it takes me back to this place so viscerally and to kind of, I guess, do that in what you guys did on the newest record. And I guess subsequently as you, as, as you have all along, but maybe without as many eyes and ears on you at that point, I feel like the hard part becomes now you're sort of trauma bonded with, with so many people. And I feel like the hard part is, and again, another thing I've kind of thought about as I've gotten older and, and done this more and kind of use my therapy brain to kind of look back on music and how I associate music with things is I feel like it kind of comes be, becomes a little bit harder for you because essentially now you're, you collectively are who fans come to, to kind of, uh, in the nicest way to, of saying this possible, emotionally dump their baggage and the and the the past experiences and traumas they've gone through because you've helped them get over that. But then it's like, yeah, I have my own shit. Now I have yours too. Fuck. I, I'm, I'm maybe not equipped to deal with that too. In addition to mine that I'm still haven't worked through. And I feel like that's something else that I, I've, thought about and looking at you know like the jonathan davis's like you know when daddy came out and stuff like that and i'm like man that dude has been that had to have been that guy for so many people like that can't not affect you in some way shape or form and it's and the way it happened to you where it wasn't like okay we have the song and we know this is gonna happen but like because of the circumstances and everything that it was just like, this was like just fucking heaped on you like an avalanche. And then it's like, Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. I mean, it, it can definitely be overwhelming. Um, Cause I, I don't think any of us feel like we, like, you know, we, we should be those people for somebody, you know, like we, we, we don't feel like we're any different than anybody who is listening to our band, you know, um, I, I, to me, I just feel thankful that what we're doing can be some sort of outlet for people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I try to, uh, when people reach out to, I don't want to say dump because it's not that because I think that that puts a negative stigma on like uh, some sometimes people just have to get it out. They have to they have to. I mean, where where else are they going to go? Really? I kind of how I if they if they've in that moment, they feel like I'm the person they need to tell something to then like. So be it. That's OK with me. Um, but I certainly am not the one equipped to be able to help because. I mean, like you said, we all have our own shit too. And I, and I try to, to comfort when I can, but the, the reality is, is I can't do it for everybody. Cause I, I right. can't even do it for myself a lot of the times. Uh, but I'm just grateful that the band has been able to be some sort of outlet for people. Uh, Cause I know that I've had, I've had those, the hate breeds, the, the whoever's growing up that, uh, 
I didn't know who to turn to. I, I couldn't feel comfortable turning to somebody, whatever put on the record. And then it was, okay, I get this, this, this guy doesn't know me, but clearly he gets me, you know, and that, that makes us hurt a little bit less. That makes this sting a little less. Uh, if the, if what we went through and what we do as a band helps anybody, even half a percent, you know, with, with what they battle with on a daily basis, I feel like everything we went through was worth it. Hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it can, it can be overwhelming for sure. Uh, I mostly because I want to help and I just, <laughs> I, I just, I just know that I'm not the right guy for that. You know, I think that's, I think that's just been, cause like there was a, an experience that I, I kind of went through where someone reached out to me with basically uh, wanting to take their own life. And I was like, I barely know you. And you also live in a whole nother country. So like legitimately my first thoughts are like, I, I literally can't help you. Right. Um, and depending on how our interaction goes, the repercussions uh, could be forever. Like for me. Right. Um, and so that, that was actually the driving force for me to go to therapy. Cause I was like, man, like I am that person for so many people and I love being that person for so many people, but I also, didn't have an outlet to like kind of work through my own shit in addition to other people's. And I'm like, yeah, I need help with this. Um, so, I mean, I, I know from a very minuscule version of it that it's like, I know what it kind of drove me to have to do to kind of seek resolution and, and find my way through it, uh, to, to be a better me and, and better me for other people. Um, but I couldn't imagine that being, I couldn't imagine having to do that on a, on a larger scale. Um, so I always kind of think it's interesting to, to kind of talk about that sort of, just because it's said, it's an interest. It's an interesting, I like if you haven't been able to tell, and for those that have been listening to the podcast for a while, if you haven't couldn't tell, I love talking about things about how they affect us as people on a, on a deeper level. Like, sure. Well, I know, mean, isn't that what all of this is really about at the end of the day anyway? I mean, absolutely. I think it is, but it's, it's funny that, you know, my journey through the podcast to feeling sort of imposter syndrome, like no one wants to talk to me because I don't have anything of value to say to then working to where like I over prepare and I have like a list of questions that literally I'll be like, all right, so I'm going to ask this question or this question's cool. How do I get there? And how do I get out of it? And then I'd literally start a whole like 40 minute conversation in my head with someone that I've never talked to. And then all I'm doing is just steering it so I can get to this. So like, maybe you would say something and it's like, Oh, that's cool. But let's just keep going. Cause I didn't, I didn't account for, <laughs> it's almost like going on a, on a trip and we're not sightseeing. We're just getting right to the destinations <laughs> of where we're going. Right. And that's what we're doing, but it's like, you miss seeing so many cool things by not deviating and going and, seeing the path on, you know, less traveled, um, phys like literally and, and figuratively, but it's, uh, I think it's, it's led to more interesting and better connections with, with strangers, essentially. I could, I could totally imagine that being the case for sure. Absolutely. Kind of a, a weird segue though. <laughs> how, Hit me with it. how old are your kids? They're like four, four, three, four? four, four and one. Okay. Or I was just saying, so not, not quite old, definitely not really, I guess, old enough to kind of understand what you do. No, not, not at all. So my son 
was one and a half at the shrine for our first show back. So he was there. Doesn't remember it whatsoever. Okay. Um, and, and I think just now, like within the past couple of months, he might've started making the connection. Um, you know, he'll see the ghost inside logo all over stuff, all over the house and mer- shirts and stuff. The wife and I will be wearing or uh, whatever. And he always, always says, Oh, it's the ghost inside. And then like, uh, my wife and I, like we had on the shrine DVD the other day and he goes, Oh, look, that's you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Uh, but I, I think he is slowly starting to make the connection, but he definitely doesn't fully get it. Uh, I want to try to get him to a show if we end up doing something within reasonable distance of, you know, here in Maryland this year. I want to see what it would be like for him to come now, because uh, he, de- like I said, he, he he doesn't remember anything. In fact, he slept through most of our set, which is <laughs> which is which is impressive. And I don't know if that is a is a shot at us or not, but he slept through most of our set. Um, so yeah, it, it would be interesting. My daughter definitely doesn't get it. She's only one. So, right. No, I, you know, cause that's something, you know, I don't have kids. I'm not going to have kids, but it's sure. been something that, you know, like talking to Brian from shadows fall, like they did those reunion shows and his kids are, I think seven, eight, nine ish. So like they can understand it now. And to me, like something I do appreciate about kids uh, but not clearly enough to where I want any is uh, to just see like the, the way they see things. Yep. Because it's so pure. It, it's, it, it's not clouded by, you know, years of, Hey, you can't think that can't enjoy that, whatever. It's, it's just, it is unapologetically. However, they, they see it or view it. it. That's, that's unapologetically how they, it is. And to me, I feel like, being in your position, being in, you know, a touring band of a certain level where you're, you're kind of a career musician at this point, I would say easily that to be able to experience that through your kids eyes, I think would be very interesting. Yeah. That's something I, like I said, I, that that's kind of one of my uh, bucket list things for this year is to try to try to have a show that he can come out to and kind of uh, see it because I mean, in, and even with the shrine, specifically like one of my biggest concerns with whether or not we would play a show because if if the band was done i was just i was just done because i couldn't see myself going back on stage with anyone but these guys after what we went through together um and so the biggest thing for me when we started talking about the shrine was you know we live in maryland were we going to get the family all the way to the other side of the country for the show like were we going to put them on a plane for the first time He's never slept in a hotel like, oh, that's going to be a nightmare. Like, but I wanted to share that moment with my son because I wanted him. I, I wanted him to get to experience my passion with me and whether he remembered it or not. If that was the last one, he was there and he did share that moment with me. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to. I'm excited to see what it's like when he does start to get it. Uh, and, and I'm excited for him to start discovering the music that he enjoys on his own. You know, he's, he's not really at an age yet where we, I mean, we mostly listen to kids music and stuff still at this point, <laughs> you know, like we get, we get in the car and I, baby if, shark. We, we went, we're going through a baby shark thing with my daughter right now. Um, but, but they haven't really started to figure out like, you know, real music yet that they, that, and, and I'm excited to see where his tastes 
take him where like I'm I'm deci- I'm excited to see his personality come to life through music. Shake the wiggles out on a tour with you. Oh no, <laughs> or no, veggie no, no, tales. No, no. <laughs> what? Why would I want to do that to us? <laughs> I think one of my favorite, well, actually, it's not favorite. It's it's kind of morbid in hindsight, especially. Uh, one of my old roommates, he had a daughter that was like newborn, basically. And for the first like year or so of her life, I basically babysat her while he worked because I had a weekend job. And I remember Bolt was like the only thing that would like get her to just sit and watch. And you know, those kids movies have like a loop feature where basically you just put it on and it just goes. Yep. And I remember texting a friend of mine and I was like, I think Bolt's the whole reason John Travolta's kid died. Oh my God. (laughs) And he sent me a thing back. He goes, I laughed hysterically out loud at a meeting. And I think he, at the time he was working for Verizon and he goes, <laughs> and I had to tr- come up with something very quickly as to why I was laughing that hard. Uh, dark, <laughs> dark. Well, well, I think you can attest when you have watched a singular movie every single day for four to seven times a day that eventually you go through that phase. You're like, Oh, this is okay. Then you fucking hate it. We, we've done that with a few different movies and every time we switch to a different movie I'm like ah oh, the cycle has ended but then it's just a new movie and and we've done it a bunch of times so I know exactly what you're talking about goat and you leave your shitty comments <laughs> <laughs> Jesus but yeah I remember I remember making that comment and I was like, oh, and I was like, and again, this, this, it's not even my kid. And I'm already like having these like growing pains of like, I fucking hate this. Well, you know what? At least now, you know, you don't want kids. It's better to know now before you have one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's that. I could be like everyone else and just be like, "Eh, fuck it. Well, I don't think that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you know for sure you don't want to, maybe you just don't have them. Well, I mean, yeah, actually, that, I mean, that's actually been it, oddly enough, because uh, it's always a weird point of contention. And I realize, like, I just like making things awkward now because, like, why the sure. fuck not? Sure. So, like, you know, I start, many years ago, I started a job and, you know, there's there's the tertiary like these are the set questions you ask a, a complete stranger. Are you are you married? Do you seen someone? Yeah, married. Oh, how long have you been married? Oh, this long. Got any kids? No. And like, I always know as soon as someone starts talking to me, and like, usually I'd have headphones on, or I'm like watching something on my phone. I'm like, the the vibe couldn't be. Please don't talk to me anymore. Sure. And in inevitably, someone will always come up and start talking to you. Of course. And you're like. <sighs> so I remember like. It's gotten to the point with like my wife. I always joke. I'm like, if one more of your family members ask me like if when we're gonna have kids, I'm just gonna tell them that I'm impotent, <laughs> or I'm gonna make it real awkward or whatever. And I'm just like, just and that's been my new thing is just trying to make those that line of questioning as awkward for the other person as possible. So like I've told people I'm impotent or that my wife's you know infertile, and it's a real sore subject for us. And thanks a lot. And uh, well, then one, you know like, what? It kind of serves them right though, because if you think about it, it's just like none of anybody's fucking business. You know what I mean? Not at all. And I have kids, and I love my kids, but I just don't think it's any of my <laughs> business to care whether or not you want kids. That's up to my, you. My favorite so far has been someone asked me if I have kids, and when I said no, and they go, "Do you want kids?" and I go, "Do you come when you're on top or on bottom?" 
And the lady was like, what? And I go, yeah. Like, do you come when you're on top or just like when you're like husband's on top? And she was like, what does that have to do with anything? I go, oh, I thought since we're asking really personal questions, <laughs> I would just ask you one. Going and she, in. And she, yeah, I mean, maybe. And then uh, or maybe respect. she's a more maybe she's more of a clitoral person. Doesn't want sure. any penetration. Respect. Respect. But she was just like. I'm not having this conversation with you. I was like, thank you. I didn't want to have this one with you either. So I tried to figure out the fastest way I could get it over with. Uh, people don't realize how rude that act, that question like legitimately is. It's just, it's, nobody's fucking, it's nobody's fucking business. Well, it's the same like when people, I mean, I'm sure maybe you get, maybe not, but like, I know I get it, but like when people grab your arms and shit, they're like, Oh, who, who did that? And I'm like, sorry. Like, are you touching me? Yep. Like, I started a friend of mine and I, it's my favorite thing to do to make people even more awkward. People grab your arm. and like, Oh, who, what, what's this? Who did that? Just put my finger right put here on their cheek. Face. Yeah. And they're like, what are you, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I thought since we we're invading each other's personal spaces, I'm just going to go right for you right, right here and just put it right there. Isn't it like, crazy that just because you're willing to have a needle touch your skin, that all of a sudden people just think that you just don't have a, like a personal bubble anymore. Cause I have experienced that. I think the new new weird level through doing this and having like having talked to some interesting people. Uh, I left my phone at the bar next to my wife after I texted a friend and my phone like after 30 seconds or a minute goes on, you know, got to have the passcode. I guess some random bitch at the bar I work at picked up my phone and before that then just started sending like not not nude titty shots like just like and I went through and I and, like so a friend of mine texted back and I was like, were you texting my friend? She goes, yeah, do you know this person, this Dewey too? And I was like, well, unless your Dewey lives out in Oregon and has like, is like six, three and like 300 something pounds. Like, I don't think so. And she's like, Oh no, not the same person. And then, so she like hands me my, or I have my phone back and I'm starting to go through it. And then she like tries essentially busting me out and then like looks at my wife and she goes, by the way, he's texting someone named stormy Daniels. And she was like, yeah, bitch, he did a podcast with her. They know each other. And it's just, oh my God, really? And then she was like, that was really stormy. And I was like, yeah. She goes, oh, can I fuck her? And I was like, no. And then I looked at what she sent. And then it was literally like a shitty photo that she had, like a shitty photo. And then it literally says, do you know Trump? And I was like, Jesus Christ. But it was like one of those, I was like, God, what the fuck? <laughs> what is wrong with people these days? I don't know. You block people up in their homes for too long and they go, I mean, we've all been crazy the entire time. Let's be honest. It's, it's just been worse since the pandemic. That's all that happened. We just got even crazier. It's uh again, lack of privacy. I guess now everyone feels entitled to whatever they can gleam off of you. What seemingly. a fucking time to be alive, man. What a time to be alive. <sighs> Amen to that. Um, kind of, I feel like we're, kind of at the end of this uh, you know like i was saying well, I mean, like, how, guys, how do you top stormy daniels you had the, you had the fucking peak story there uh, all right egon like wh what is your uh your ghostbuster machine what's your peak going for i mean <laughs> i ain't got shit on that that's for god um, sure well i guess I, I can piggyback off of sort of uh something you know JT and I kind of talked about a little bit about um, obviously, you know, you ghost inside has a couple of shows actually you just announced another one. Um, what's kind of going on with the, the Texas in July stuff. Cause like, I know you guys are playing some shows suddenly like from talking to JT. Like it seems like maybe some stuff's on the horizon, but like nothing set in stone. Like 
it seems like you guys, I mean, you record, you have all your stuff there, even though you're selling half your gear right now to probably buy some more tempers <laughs> or whatever, but That's what, exactly uh, what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, I guess, I guess here's the easier way to ask the question. What, uh, what are you looking forward to in the next, uh, I'll say the, the next year, like the rest of this year. Cause I mean, we're about halfway done with it. Yeah. Which is fucking crazy. When did that happen? Jesus Christ. Uh, somewhere between the second or third year anniversary of the, the shrine show and stormy Daniels, which is like, what a spread. Holy shit. Ooh, that's, that's, that's an interesting way of putting that. Yeah. You, uh, bad choice <laughs> it's, of it's words. A, it's a veritable buffet. And in, as indeed <laughs> bad choice of words. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I mean, I guess between the two bands, uh, like JT said, and I, I, <sighs> The thing with Texas is that between him doing era and me doing the ghost inside and those two things being our main focus, um, you know, Adam, our drummer is, uh, going to school to be some music. Oh, did I by accident? I hear music. (laughs) Let me see. Oh, I I might've bumped a button on my keyboard. My bad. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I think I did. Uh, so yeah, so JT's got ERA, I have TGI, and those are our main focuses. Um, and then Adam's going to school full-time. Mm. Uh, and then the other two guys work full-time. Uh, you know, Ben's getting married, Christian's a dad. And so, like, we just don't have a ton of time to do stuff. And so the plan is to, like, much like what TGI is doing, just, just do stuff when we can. Um, and and not really put any pressure on ourselves about anything to do with it. Uh at this point, I mean, especially towards the end of the band, stuff just became so stressful. Like all the fun kind of went out the window and everything we were doing was always ended, ended up feeling like it was like 10 times more work than it should have needed to be. And it just like the the fun just went out the window. And I think now for us, we just want to do stuff when we feel like doing stuff and just have fun doing stuff with our friends again. Uh, z- zero pressure. Uh, zero expectations for anything, just strictly having fun. So we ha- we have a show on May 7th. We're going to do uh, a headline show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And it's like a celebrating 15 years of the band. And uh, we're going to do stuff like we're, we're busting out all sorts of like old songs, like even stuff that came out before I joined Texas that I never played with the band. Like we're, we're going all the way back in the discography for that one. Uh, and then Texas is also playing in Texas uh, at the So What Festival. And now, uh, because unfortunately the Parkway guys had to cancel their North America run, Ghost Inside moved to Saturday of that festival. And Texas in July is also on Saturday of that festival. So I'm pulling a double duty that day. So we'll see if I make it. I might not even live through that day. We'll find out. This is a really dumb gear question. Yep. I'd imagine it's super simple because of, like you were saying, at the very beginning, you have your patches, all your your shit that obviously makes it for each set. Are you? Is it going to be easy to to have both sets essentially loaded into your your? Uh, I'm trying to remember if you're using the neural DSP or if you're still yep. using. Yeah, okay. I'm on a, I'm on a quad cortex now. Yeah, and okay. and yeah, uh, it is pretty easy. So you just put them in different banks. But uh, I'm in a very fortunate situation where I have a setup for Texas in July, and then TGI has just we built our own thing too. So. I'll just plug in my Texas in July rig, pack that away, and then plug in that ghost inside rig. And then I luckily won't have to touch anything. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the digital amps these days that made it even easier that I could just 
oh, I need my Texas in July patch now, and I just drop a mini note in our playback session, and it'll switch to that patch for me. Thank God for technology. <laughs> it's uh, one of the. It's one of those. Like I was just thinking, I was like, ah, I feel like that would be kind of tough, like to, because I think I remember you saying in what little bit of your streams I've been seeing that you have basically uh, quote unquote an A and B rig for each band. Yeah. Um, and possibly you might even have rigs, uh, an A and B rig for each. Well, maybe not Texas in July, but for ghost inside, you might have an A and B rig for that band too, to send yep. somewhere. Um, so it was one of those, like I was thinking about, I was like, would you use the same rig or do you literally have two different ones that you're going to have to bring out? Uh, well, l- for, luckily, for that? Yeah, luckily for Texas in July, the rig is just, it's a pedal board because the quad cortex is so small. Um, yeah. But the ghost inside stuff is more, it's built into racks that then go into cases that we can put on pallets and ship all over the world and stuff. So that that one's more purpose built. The, the Texas in July stuff's more throw and go. So it's pretty easy. Uh, but then with the ghost inside, the, the big thing for me right now is that, you know, knock on all sorts of wood. <laughs> you know it's looking like we'll finally get to go do the stuff in europe that we had planned for the summer of 2020 that we've now you know rescheduled all of it three four times each uh again i'm gonna knock even more on some wood uh oh know, there it is i knew that was coming yeah. dad joke dad <laughs> yeah, joke right there <laughs> exactly uh, hey i i got two kids i gotta lean into that now uh you know, I'm hoping that we finally get to get to go do that. You know, there's been people who have been holding tickets for our show at uh, Brixton Academy in London for two and a half years now. We announced that back in like September of 2019. Yeah. And, and so people have been holding tickets for two and a half years. And I would really love to go give them a show worth waiting two and a half years for. You know what I mean? I feel like that's going to be. It's, it's not going to be on the level of the Shrine show, but I feel like all these firsts for the band again are going to be very emotional for uh, all of you. Absolutely. So we, we went to Australia January of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, and that was our first show after the shrine and, uh, stepping off of the airplane and into the lines for custom. I started to get teary eyed being like, I can't fucking believe that all of us are here right now. That's hmm. fucking crazy. There was a moment where I didn't even think Andrew was going to survive. And we are all here right now on the other side of the world to play music. Like, and I, and I have a feeling that, yeah, like you're saying, like step off the plane at Heathrow in London, I'm probably going to have a wave of emotion that hits me just like that for sure. I think that's the exciting thing about all these years later. The, the silver lining, I guess, is that it makes you appreciate these things that maybe you, I don't want to say it's put words in your mouth that took for granted, but maybe oh, you're, no, uh, it, that's, I think that that's something that all of us probably subconsciously were doing for sure. You know, cause it's like you get into the tour cycle and you're like, Oh, we're in Paris today. I'm really tired. I don't feel like going out and seeing the sights. I'll just lay in my bunk till the set. We'll be, we'll be back in six months. We always are back in six months. Not this time, bud. you better soak it all up. And I, I'll tell you, I'm, I will, I will never, ever, 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 ever in my life have that kind of mindset ever again. I, I guess I'll close on this unless you want to add to it through, through the powers that be, I kind of had already figured out that the Christmas show for every time I die was the last, probably the last raw. It was the last shows, uh, barring, barring a 
reunion in a couple of years, maybe when some uh, some things die down, tensions, whatever, uh, get resolved. But I went to night one. I had a good time. It felt weird. Uh, it took about five, six songs for it to feel like a normal every time I die set. And sure. by that, I mean, everyone kind of stayed in their spots, uh, which is not like an every time I die show. And I had also caught the second show of the tour. So like I got to see kind of them in full bore and then kind of seeing the second to last show. And I was like, this feels something's awkward. Off, something's off here. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I knew people that knew the people uh, in the band and they were like, yeah, it's done after this. And so the second to last, the second night I see played. And then I was like, looked at my wife. I was like, you want to go? And she goes, you're going to leave before you said goes on. And I go, I don't know if it's going to be weird again. Like last night. And I'd rather have my last memories be of the show back home. And kind of the good parts of last night. Um, I was like, I have 20 some odd years of memories of this band and they're all great. I don't want my memories to be soured by whatever the fuck's going on with this band. Um, So I'd rather leave and have it be on a high note personally. Yeah, I completely get that. That's that. Uh, I can, I can imagine how fucking heartbreaking it would have been to, I mean, I, I know how heartbreaking it was just to find out that you know the band was breaking up, but then to basically see the undoing of uh, a band who's brought, you know, given us as a community such incredible music and uh, m- and such incredible memories of seeing the band play live and and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if I would would have been able to stick around to watch it. I think the hardest part for me was realizing you know you had said you know that sense of community of going to shows and and knowing that your friends and you were getting to experience this communal uh this communal experience of going to shows and the community and all that kind of stuff and it's weird uh i was reminded when we went to that ice nine show and that actually this does feel like a really good wrapping up point because it brings it full circle but my wife was making the comment she goes i think outside of every time i die now i think ice nine kills is the band we've seen the most in in this span of time because we we you know uh, thankfully, through the Atreyu camp and knowing, you know, most of those guys, you know, getting to know Patrick uh, over the last five years or so. And when she said that, that hit me and I was like, I'm I'm never going to go see every time I die with my friends anymore. Like, I'm not going to go to a show in Detroit. I'm not going to go to a show here. I'm not going to Buffalo. I'm not going to see these people at that show experiencing those songs looking at each other like having fun because of that music ever again and it was a very weird hard moment to think of to like kind of really sitting there in a sold out room people going ape shit and i was just like fuck i'm that like fuck i'm never gonna have that experience again and that is one of the most tenured bands that i have seen in in my time the most the like i think by the time we went to that uh the christmas show i think that was like my 37th or 38th time of seeing that band wow like i never missed that band i saw them on every warp tour i saw them every time they came to grand rapids detroit sometimes i saw them in buffalo i think three times like i've seen that band a ton and to realize and have that moment where i go shit never again like the Ice Nine Kills show last week was where I really kind of felt like I the 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 final time. And as I'm literally looking at a wall of concert tickets right here, and I see every time I die, like every third ticket, like on the in the rows, it's like 
shit, never again. And interestingly, at least for now, at least for now, interestingly enough, there's an every time I die ticket right above an it dies today ticket. There you go, baby. That talk about full circle right there. <laughs> we did it. We completed the circle. <laughs> um, is there anything you would like to plug online or anything uh, for those that may hear this in two weeks by the time uh, this comes out? Uh, well, if you are in the on the, the East Coast, specifically the Northeast, and you want to come see Texas in July, you can catch us in Harrisburg at HMAC on May 7th. Um, other than that, uh, I would just say keep an eye on what the Ghost Inside is doing this year. There may or may not be a couple more things we're, we're working on trying to do this year. We just got to gotta gotta firm up a couple more details on some things but you know there might be a couple more opportunities to come see us this year and how what is your uh, twitch stream schedule typically oh yes and the twitch so twitch (laughs) i could could call twitch i do uh monday and wednesday evenings at 9 p.m eastern and then i do tuesday and thursday at noon eastern and then saturdays at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Saturdays, we we the community suggests songs for us to check out together on stream. And the streams during the week can be anywhere from playing through songs to taking uh, requests from the chat to occasionally we have guests on and do thing, things similar to this where I'll chat with somebody maybe I haven't seen in a while and the chat gets a, a chance to ask some of their questions to maybe somebody from a band that they're a fan of or something. So we, we try to keep it interesting and it's, it's a pretty cool community of people to hang out with. So yeah, if you want to come hang out and get nerdy about music, we're there a couple times a week. I full heartedly agree with that. It's been a lot of fun in the week or so that I've been week and a half that I've been following the Twitch stream more and uh, already feel like I said uh, earlier, a part of it already, even though, it, it was all new to me uh, like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you again for taking the time and doing this on a relatively short notice of when someone was like, hey, you should have Chris on your show. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if he wants to be on it. <laughs> Dude, always down. I, I appreciate you having me, man. I, I sincerely appreciate it. So that was my conversation with Chris Davis of The Ghost Inside. I uh, really enjoyed this chat. I also, <laughs> like I said in the intro, and as you, if you watch the video of this over on our YouTube channel, you will see <laughs> that I enjoyed three beers while we were chatting. Uh, like I said, this, the Funfetti Cake one. I was really hoping this, uh, Sock and Suck Brewing is becoming quickly one of my favorite new breweries. Not new, but like new to me. Uh, breweries here in Michigan, and... They put out this uh, barrel-aged double-dip banana split, and I was really assuming this was going to be really good. And I picked the kind of three beers I wanted because they were kind of desserty. And this one was just more kind of the barrel-aged flavor, very, very, like kind of very heavy and sweet. Um, But I will say, outside of the Funfetti one, the the chocolate coconut candy stout from Untitled Art, that was fucking delicious. But that was kind of like the thing that I enjoyed about this, this chat and just bullshitting with Chris is it just felt like, and the whole premise of the show, just sitting around, having some beers, talking to someone, and then, you know, people get to hear it. And that was the fun part of this chat for me was just kind of getting to pick Chris's brain and to kind of ask him questions and, and kind of get serious at times, uh, you know, with what the band went through with the accident. And, you know, I know sometimes some of the, the ridicule, I guess, of the show is that sometimes I cut guests off, but I'm trying to get better at a not doing that, but B 
sometimes I just don't want to let a question that I'm having literally in the moment, like the moment pass. So like in this episode, you know, he was taught, Chris was talking about, you know, how the pandemic came and he hadn't touched his guitars in a while and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of dawned on me. I was like, well, fuck, that's, that's probably very similar to what you went through after the accident did what you went through through the accident. And I guess the bigger talking point about it was, I feel like overcoming an accident like that, overcoming everything that the band collectively did individually and as a whole, that I feel like it has given the guys the tools they need to work their way through some of these adversities that maybe they go through in life just day to day as people. And so that was kind of where my, my thought was is, and I didn't really articulate that part very well. Like I only kind of focused it on, you know, the accident to, to getting out of the funk and getting into Twitch streaming. But the bigger picture of what I kind of was trying to go for with that was more, you know, has that maybe, I guess, given you the ability and the tools to kind of work your way through and motivate yourself to do things that maybe where you're like, well, I haven't done this or I don't want to do this, but I have to, I'm going to push through. I'm going to get through this, this little hurdle and, and, overcome. And I think to me, that is something that is, uh, when you kind of are able to learn that, I think it really allows you to live a, a much more fulfilling life because you, you kind of know how to work and navigate through the bullshit. And I know for me, like with therapy and stuff like that, that is something that I have kind of gotten the keys and the tools to do. And it is kind of astounding when you just find yourself saying or doing these things based on tools you've been given. And you're like, wow, like it's so much easier to go through life when you have the ability to do these and know how to, to, to do it. Um, so I can't imagine on a much grander scale of the shit that they've gone through, uh, the way that they have probably been able to empower and enrich, uh, their own lives in that capacity. So that's kind of what I was trying to get at with that. So, um, kind of explaining that a little bit further. But uh, this was a really fun chat. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to uh, whenever the ghosts inside are remotely near myself or when my wife and I decide to make a trek to go see the band. Uh, we were supposed to go to the So What Festival. Uh, unfortunately, we bought a house instead. <laughs> uh, but having a place to live uh, permanently is, is, I guess, a good uh, sacrifice to not going to a, a festival. But um, very much looking forward to seeing the guys. Uh, I haven't seen Andrew in a little while in person. Um, I might rectify that here really quickly before he moves to Vegas and it becomes infinitely harder to go see him. Uh, and Chris, uh, I probably will not go out to the East coast, uh, anytime soon. But like I said, I'm very much looking forward to, uh, getting to hang with the ghost inside dudes and, uh, probably having a lot of very immature laughs, uh, at the expense <laughs> of somebody, I'm sure. Um, if you would like to keep up with Chris, it is simple. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Chris underscore TGI. If you would like to keep up with the Ghost Inside, you can find them at the Ghost Inside on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Texas in July, as you heard, is uh, kind of got some shows coming up, uh, but very much like the Ghost Inside, they are kind of just going to be uh, a band that wants to do things when the passion and desire to do it is, which I always will advocate for because that is when the best stuff comes out when you want to do it. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Texas in July. And uh, if you want to keep up with everything on the website, you can go to theghostinside.com. And if you want to keep up with us, you can go to the Bruce Speak Pod on all socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
And uh, we want to thank our sponsors. Um, you know, the, that's the thing. You know, we talked about a community and supporting one another. And I love the community of sponsors that basically I have. Uh, they individually, they have all become really close friends. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Rockabilia. Use our code brutally. Take 10% off your total purchase order. Uh, the guys and gals over at the Bean Bastard, uh, go to thebeanbastard.com, pick up some coffee. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, please go support their brick and mortar store. And last but not least, On Point Palmade. Keep your beard and hair looking on points. Use our code BSP15 and you will save 15% off your total purchase order. Uh, Maddie Mullins and the guys are getting ready to come through here actually very soon. So maybe we will uh, have Maddie back on uh, soon and uh, catch up with them. The band has obviously got new music coming out, a new record, and uh, it's it's sounding like old, heavy Memphis Mayfire. Uh, so everyone should be excited for that. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I will return next week where our guest is John of Candiria, and I will talk to you then.